This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Friday. Looking ahead to today's show, we're going to be talking in segment two with Glenn Tonser, professor of ag economics at Kansas State University, about his meat demand monitor and the trends he's tracking in demand and consumption across this country. In segment three, Dr. Paul Sunberg, the executive director of the Swine Health Information Center, will be joining us. They keep track of diseases percolating throughout the United States and indeed around the world. He's going to bring an update as to what threats and risks are out there for swine producers here in the fall of 2022. And we're going to close today's show with Matt Youngman, the show manager at Husker Harvest Days, and Brent Whitefoot, regional director there at Chief Agri. We're going to look ahead to next week's Husker Harvest Days. Folks, hard to believe it is just around the corner. Before we jump into all of that, however, we've got to take a look at these markets this morning. And to help us do that is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, thanks so much for jumping on today. Yeah, anytime, Mike. Let's talk about what's going on. As we take a look at the commodity markets today, Dwayne, I am seeing a lot of green on the screen. What are some of the factors driving the moves higher today? Yeah, I think outside markets finally not talking recession and having a better day. You got crude oil up about two and a half, the stock market up almost 300. So that gave the grain markets a little bit more momentum to go ahead and and go to the green side, some buyers stepping in back again. It seems like we're seeing some fun buying at that 8.30 time frame every morning. It seems like the funds are starting to build some long positions in the corn market, probably due to this trade talk that, you know, our supplies are just a little bit lower than we thought a month or two ago. Dwayne, as you think about that managed money getting long again in the grains, this seems like an interesting time to do it, given we've got September's supply and demand estimates on Monday. Do you think they're really going to see the managed money move in once that res- uh, report is printed? I, I think so. I, you know, we saw some buying this morning, like I said, and now you watch We're going to probably cool our jets for the rest of the day and just put her in neutral until that 11 o'clock USD report on Monday. Uh, you know, trade estimates are for the yield to drop about three bushels an acre and production down about 300 bushels. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think the managed money will step in after that report, even if it's not as bullish as the trade estimates are. I feel like the managed money is, is looking at commodities and going, I think that's a safer haven than anything else with the recession talks. Index funds got out of a lot of long positions here throughout the end of the summer, and I think they're looking to build their positions back as, as commodities is maybe a safe haven to where to invest, as long as our supplies are, are lower than anticipated, which they're going to be now this year. They are indeed. And as we're thinking about those supplies, still a lot of questions about what's going to come with this year's soybean crop, given the late rains and the late planting. Dwayne, soybeans have been interesting to watch this week. We saw that key or we saw that reversal, bearish reversal on Wednesday. We're moving higher. That is a little different than what I was expecting to see in the bean market. What's happened here? It was a little interesting. Now, soybeans are more subject to that outside market, uh, you know, recession talk. You know, they'll follow the outside markets more, the equity markets, I'd say. So that kind of put pressure on this market. The last really two weeks got us back down to the lower trading range we've been at at that 375 for November. And we broke that support the other day. Well, just yesterday morning we broke it, and it looked like, uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. But actually a lack of sellers underneath that point kind of invited the bulls to come back in and buy it. Now we're trading back above and now back above $14. So, you know, in the short term here going into fall, it actually seems like below 14, there's pretty good support for soybeans until we know more about this crop size. You know, soybeans are so tough to guess the yield, right? I mean, the USDA is going to try to do that on Monday. Trade estimate has, has them dropping the yield a little bit and the acres ever so slightly. So that would put a little bit of a tight situation, even tighter, but I don't know, man. Until those combines roll, I don't even try to put a guess on my own soybeans out there. That That is fair, Dwayne. Curious, though, looking ahead to Monday's report, bean exports has been a question on the minds of a lot of traders and a lot of farmers. Do you think USDA is going to make any adjustments there, given the moves we've seen from China? Um, I probably not, unless they do the, you know, the paper shuffle a little bit. If, they, if their surveys and, and field 
inspections find a lower yield, there's a chance they lower exports then just a little bit. Just kind of that way they keep that ending stock, you know, above that 270 million bushels. You know, we don't want to get it too much below that. Uh, otherwise, we'd start to rally too soon, maybe, and ration some demand. Yeah, China, it, it doesn't sound good from there, does it? I think USDA attache that's in China suggested less Chinese soybean imports in 2023 and lower their 2022 imports as well. So, yeah, it sounds like the COVID lockdowns and a little bit of recession talk there has demand a little lower. However, we also talked about La Nina stretching into the end of this year uh, going into January. That might put some dryness concerns in South America and, and maybe a little delay to planting down there of that what's expected to be a record crop. So the two might offset each other and we still might actually grind a little bit higher because even at 275 million bushels, that's still a tight ending stock for us. It is indeed. Dwayne, I want to get your impression here on the wheat market. We're up 16 to 18 cents in Chicago today. Is this still a concern that Putin might uh, renege on his uh, grain export deal with the Ukraine? Well, something's going to happen there eventually. We have to keep in mind, you know, this is a guy who's trying to take over the country. Um, will he have announcements every once in a while that makes it sound like he's a humanitarian and trying to export grain to the poor countries? You bet there'll be headlines like that. But, you know, I, I don't know if there'll be another export deal after this one expires. So the wheat market probably found really good support down here at the harvest lows. Now, we're harvesting a nice-sized spring wheat crop up here, but we're still supplies are still tight, and, you know, Ukraine basically with half a crop and even less than that being able to be exported is still a very bullish picture. And you know, I, I don't think if you're a Ukraine farmer right now looking to plant winter wheat, you're looking at low prices and the threat of war. I just, I think the story there, Mike, is going to be less winter wheat acres even planted. So then they have no chance of exporting it next year. Right. That's a great point. It's tough to uh, it's tough to get the motivation to put some seed in the ground with shells flying overhead. You mentioned that you've got a good spring wheat crop coming in north of you there, Dwayne. We had a lot of concerns about that crop early in the year as late and as wet and as cold as this spring was. Bring us up to speed. What are you hearing from your guys there uh, up north in the northern plains on their spring wheat? I, I'm hearing a lot of happy farmers is what I'm hearing. A little surprised, too. Yeah. I mean, they planted spring wheat into June thinking, well, it's better than planting late corn is what they thought. They didn't want a, weight let, uh, a wet corn crop and a late harvest. But no, yields are coming in very good. Uh, guys are very happy. And then the weather has been pretty hot and dry up here, so they're actually able to get it off. Now, as you get a little bit further into Canada, you've got some dry spots that didn't get the rains this summer, so yields back off a little bit there. But for the most part, I'm looking for a pretty big spring rate crop from our area. All right, Dwayne, real quick, before we let you go, live cattle this week. Do you think we're going to see that cash trade push even higher? I know I'm afraid it's you know steady to a little bit lower and really light trade volume so far. No one's the Packers aren't really jumping in and buying it, and cutouts are down. You know a little bit sluggish time of year, the month of September for box beef movement. So I'm a little worried we're going to see maybe a little bit negative trade there for maybe a week or two. Hopefully, eventually we find this low inventory. I keep promising that we can go higher. Well, we are going to talk about that here next with Glenn Totzer of Kansas State University. But Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll have more coming up. As I mentioned, Glenn Totzer talking meat demand monitor when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. 
These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen, here on this Friday, September 9th. In this time of high inflation, elevated prices throughout the economy, there has been, I think, an extra focus on how consumers are adapting to this environment. And it's vital for those of us who sell to those consumers to understand just how they are approaching our market segment. And when it comes to the meat industry, of course, we've got to talk about what, what they're eating and where they are eating it. And these factors are being tracked each month by the Meat Demand Monitor Project from, from Glenn Tonser, Kansas State University. Glenn joins us today to bring us up to speed on what he's seeing there in that meat demand monitor. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Mike. We talk about this every month, but for listeners who are new, Glenn, bring us up to speed on the meat demand monitor. Who are you talking to and what are you trying to discern? Yeah, so the meat demand monitor is a nationally representative online survey uh, of U.S. residents. It's funded by the Beef and Pork Checkoff. And we have over a thousand respondents that are uh, put into a survey focused on at home, so primarily grocery store uh, procurement of protein to take home, and another thousand that is their away from home uh, behavior. And you can find all the information on this project on our agmanager.info website. Indeed, you can. And Glenn, let's talk about what we're seeing. And let's start with the grocery store sales. That's where the interest has been with COVID. Everybody was buying meat at the grocery store. What are you seeing now that COVID is fading farther and farther into the rear view? Yeah, so both a demand comment and then sort of um, not just the grocery store, but where people are uh, procuring their food to take home and grocery store leads, but it's not the only category. Uh, so first, before I lose everybody here, Mike, is retail demand was down in August for all the proteins we're looking at. Um, so it's not just a beef report uh, statement, includes chicken breast, plant-based, even shrimp, uh, was down in August compared to July. And actually several of those categories for August of 22 uh, the demand numbers came in a little bit weaker than August of 2021, and that is a new statement. Uh, for quite a while, I've been talking about year-over-year demand strength, even if we had month-over-month weakness, and specific to retail in August, we had declined both compared to July as well as the prior August. So that's of note. Uh, the only category we saw demand increase was actually in beans and rice, 
which isn't a meat category, but it is a substitute, um, you know, alternative source of protein. And I include that because that could be an example where folks, particularly those that are most price sensitive, might be shifting in response to higher cost of living in relation to their income. So uh, we haven't talked about that much because uh, meat demand has been strong, but it is worth noting if there's that, um, if beans and rice is growing in demand at the cost of meat protein, we need to monitor it. Glenn, thinking back to the month of August at the retail level, I know you track wholesale beef costs as well. Did we see retail prices climb in the month of August to explain that drop? Or do you think it's truly just consumers are choosing to go elsewhere to spend their protein dollar? So, you know, I can answer part of that and I can't answer all of it. So we're talking too early in the month of September to have the full um, USDA-based retail price information for August. Uh, indirectly, that's one of the perks of this project is it's quick and timely, but uh, you and I are talking a little too soon to answer that question. So um, 10 days from now, that information will be out from USDA to more narrowly talk about the retail channel. Okay, that makes sense. But you are seeing a change in the way people go to get their protein. Can you talk about what you saw at the food service level in the month of August? Yeah. So to help our listeners, we asked a host of questions in the survey, and it includes where did you get the protein that you openly consumed at home? So, you know, we use this term retail in a most general sense uh, for at-home consumption, but you can buy your proteins multiple places, and certainly the grocery store category. So think Kroger, Safeway, so forth, remains the predominant one. So I don't want to mislead folks. That's been the case month after month, and that's kind of a staple uh, nationwide. But what stood out to me looking at the August report was what we call the mass merchandisers in this effort. So it's Walmart and Target, as well as the club stores, which would include Costco and Sam's Club. Those two categories, uh, the you know the relative role, the foot traffic through those uh, outlets was up notably in August compared to July. And reading between the lines, Mike, I think that is you know an interest in buying a bigger bulk volume. So if you think through those outlets compared to maybe your traditional grocery store, uh, the ability to buy more pounds in each um, each activity, uh, while that might have a higher total price, it's one way to reduce the per pound price and ultimately the cost per serving. And I think it's consistent with some of the inflation adjustment discussions you and I have been having for a few months now. Yeah, it is. That's a long-term trend that people maybe have been been training for. They they bought their their garage deep freeze, and now they're getting out there buying larger cuts. I did want to turn our focus, though, Glenn, to restaurants, because I, I understand from the report that you did see a tick up in the incidence of dining at uh, restaurants and eating some protein. Is that right? Yeah, we did. So specifically in August compared to July, uh, there was an uptick in demand, and then it's cross-confirmed when I say uptick in demand is the willingness to pay for a dinner meal um, you know, away from home, food service restaurant was higher. And again, that's across the board for beef, pork, and chicken items that we were looking at in this assessment uh, compared to July. That's cross-confirmed elsewhere in our survey where we ask your, you know, where you had your meal. So did you have it at home versus away from home, or did you skip it? Is that the possibility? And restaurant foot traffic for that measure, you know, away from home consumption was also higher. So uh, to put a bow on that, to make sure listeners are following us, Mike, August was a mixed bag for the meat complex on demand. Uh, retail demand appears to have taken a hit for these measures, and maybe they've shifted some to buy in bigger bulk via mass merchandisers or club stores. But there was some improved strength in the uh, restaurant channel. And let's hope that continues as we go here through September. Indeed. Let's hope it does. Love to see consumers paying a premium for that protein while they are dining out. Glenn, curious about uh, consumer education. You do always ask several sort of uh, interesting questions about the, the state of consumers' knowledge for the meat industry. Can you bring us up to speed? What did you ask and what did you learn? Yeah, so we regularly ask how aware they are of uh, USD inspection. Uh, if you're aware that cooking temperature is better than just looking visually at the color, those two measures, and they're basic true-false questions in this survey, uh, regularly the majority of residents accurately get those correct, which that's good. Uh, there's some safety reassurance that comes with that. So I think past efforts by uh, the broader meat industry are paying off is the way to take that. Uh, we also ask questions related to pork color, so a red tent versus a white color, as well as the beef quality grade, choice and select. And um, again, here in August, less than half of the respondents accurately answer those questions. So I would say both the pork and beef um, industries still have some opportunity for improvement when it comes to consumer knowledge in that space. All right. And Glenn, I know you also track alternative proteins. You mentioned there that shift you saw in the beans and rice category. Broadly speaking, what is the uh, alternate proteins? What are they doing in this uh, time period? 
Yeah, so specific to August versus July, uh, basically the retail pattern was flat. I mean, like literally two cents higher, so basically no change. Uh, there was an uptick in loans to pay through restaurants for the plant-based patty meal. Um, that we haven't said for a few months now, so I think that's consistent with that broader commentary about more foot traffic through restaurants. Uh, but some context is important. We put out um, estimated market shares in these reports, and those market shares are 3 or 4%. Uh, where conversely, for example, ground beef, it is, you know, 23 to 25. Uh, chicken breast is uh, 25, 26 through retail. Uh, pork chop is 12 to 13, so forth. So all those numbers are there, but what I want to impress on your listeners is the plant-based patty category still remains a fairly small share. All right, small share indeed. And I understand that a lot of that plant-based protein is moving at uh, food service establishments, moving at restaurants. I want to circle back to that topic there, Glenn. For prior day meals, for folks who were dining away from home, what restaurant category were they dining in? Is it still predominantly fast food type uh, quick uh, quick restaurants? Yeah, so that, that is a good question. Um, so quick service and uh, casual dining, depending on the meal, that we'd actually... Um, track would be the most would be leading so specifically uh, breakfast and lunch it's quick service uh, it tends to be the um, leading outlet and then casual dining would lead for dinner all right so we continue to see those being the places where folks are going for dinner glenn all of this data <laughs> all of the the meat demand monitor data is on your website folks can find it at ag demand or excuse me agmanager.info what else can they find on there glenn so, you know, we're talking specific to this project. You know, the agmanager.info website is the broader extension website uh, for K-State Ag Econ. So there's a host. You know, I'm certainly not the only economist here. So all my colleagues that regularly post information, you can find that there. Uh, there's a lot of decision tools. Many of them are like Excel-based. Um, you can find PDFs of our past talks and so forth. So if you find this type of information useful, I encourage you to browse our agmanager.info website. Absolutely, folks. And I just want to put in another plug. I love, love agmanager.info. It's a great resource for both meat and protein information, as well as grains data. The staff at K-State does a fantastic job keeping that updated. Glenn, your next meat demand monitor will be coming out in early October. Is that right? That is correct. Usually between the 5th and 10th of the month, we'll have the opportunity to speak to it. And uh, just to keep everybody light here, get a good ag manager and see purple. So everybody enjoy your day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Glenn Tonser, proud of his K-State affiliation. Always enjoy hearing what's developing there in the meat demand space. That was Glenn Tonser, Professor Ag Econ at K-State. Folks, when we return, we're going to talk with Dr. Paul Sundberg, Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center, about swine diseases we need to be keeping an eye on in 2022. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up hi this is jeff schmidt i'm your chief agri district manager for eastern nebraska i will be at husker harvest days on lot 430 on september 13th through the 15th we'll be talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions that are designed to fit your operational needs if you have any questions, give me a call, 308-440-8768, or check out our library of products at agra.chiefind.com. As growers consider cover crop options, the Seed Innovation Protection Alliance would like to remind you that many small grains are protected by some intellectual property and are not allowed to be used for seed production. Talk to your authorized seed dealer for information on your cover crop seed options. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance thanks growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While well, the U.S. dollar falling lower overnight and here into the morning is allowing the grains to move their way higher here as we work towards the end of our week and traders look ahead to Monday's September WASDE crop report. It's going to be USDA's first quarter soybean production estimates based on actual field samples. The past 30 days of grain field time in the western Midwest has been among the top five driest since 1979. It'll be interesting to see what numbers USDA comes up with in their September was the report. A lot of folks in the trade expecting the national corn yield to fall with soybeans potentially holding steady. 
Now we see the U.S. dollar plunging and outside markets are firmer. That's giving us a positive uptrend here in the grains, as I mentioned. Currently, we see that uh, the U.S. dollar index has recovered a little bit. It's uh, still, though, down 73 at 108.97. Crude oil bouncing off its lows here of the week, up 244 a barrel, 85.98. Now, the soy market has had probably the roughest week out of the three grains, but finding support here with the weaker dollar and news of Europe's interest rate increase. Palm oil, which had plunged for five of the past six trading days to a 14-month low, rebounding as well on Friday. That's helping things out. Wheat continuing a choppy sideways pattern, recovering most of yesterday's losses here so far as we work through our session. Meantime, mixed and quiet action over in cattle and hog trade as we work through our Friday with cattle trading a little bit higher, hogs a little bit lower here, looking like uh, cash trade and cattle is essentially done for the week. And it could be a fairly quiet uh, wrap-up here of trade on Friday as traders, again, really just keeping their eye on Monday's USDA reports. That's a look at the market action today on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Each month on this program, we like to take a look at the impacts and the risks and potentially the threats that are developing in the swine industry, both domestically and globally. And I certainly don't have the information to do that. So in order to, to do this, we have to reach out to the pros, the folks who watch this stuff all the time. And there's really one place to turn, and that's the Swine Health Information Center. Joining us today is Dr. Paul Sundberg. He's the executive director of SHIC. And Paul, if you would give our audience the the elevator pitch what does Schick do for the swine industry good morning mike uh, Schick does is, is responsible for monitoring for emerging diseases both domestically and internationally um, doing targeted research on those emerging diseases to either prevent or prepare or respond to them and then to use all of the data we have in the swine industry to help to uncover trends and uncover movements in diseases, and both domestically and internationally. So it's all about monitoring for emerging disease in pigs. All right. Well, let's start with the United States, Dr. Sunberg. As you think of the emerging threats and risks, diseases that could impact the hog industry here, which are you keeping track of in detail? So every month, the University of Iowa State University helps to compile the information from the major diagnostic labs in the country that do swine um, research and swine diagnostics. And that's reported monthly, and this month our PERS um, activity is, is something that we're going to keep an eye on as we have before. Um, just to give you a, kind of an update on PERS, overall, it, nationally it's fairly low right now, but there are still pockets. Pockets in Nebraska and Missouri and Indiana are higher than expected. One of the things that um, we're watching with PERS, if we remember, we, we do genetic coding of the viruses so we can identify them. And one virus, one strain was identified as 1441C. And we're starting to see a variant of 1441C start up in some states, in five uh, hog producing states. 
It's a, we call it a 1241C, and we're watching that because that could turn into something. We don't know just what the clinical uh, implications are yet, but that's something new that we're keeping an eye on. Dr. Sundberg, what is the response when a new variant pops up like this? It starts showing up in, in disease monitoring reports. How does the industry react? What is the next step here in the monitoring process? Well, that's part of the disease uh, data analysis. Gather that information together, get all the experiences that we have, understand that we've got something potentially new out there, and look and see what the clinical implications are and the best ways to, um, to control it. We've got PERS control techniques and procedures. They work for the most part. They may vary according to some of the strain, and that's part of what we've got to learn very quickly, but we learn it on the fly as we find new things that come up out there because there is some variation between strains, so that's part of the communications we have with the veterinarians and the producers out in the countryside. Well, I'm sure those same folks are also keeping an eye out for PEDV. We've been grappling with that as an industry for several years. Dr. Sundberg, where do things sit here this fall? Yeah, that's still higher than expected. It's higher than what we think that what it's historically been for this time of year. So that's very concerning, especially coming into the last of the summer and um, into the fall and as we go in and, and close up barns. Minnesota, Iowa, Kansas, and North Carolina um, are hot spots for PED right now. Um, one of the things that we're focused on right now is the probability that we are even under-reporting PED and, and the Delta coronavirus variation of PED, where it's probably being underreported because it's not always submitted to the diagnostic lab. Um, producers, especially on finishing sites, may deal with it as a transient diarrhea and, and go on without uh, doing diagnostics on it. So we're real concerned about the, the finishing sites, the finishing floors being a nidus of infection that could work its way back into the farrowing units where it would cause more problems than it does on finishing. That makes sense, Dr. Sundberg. I was looking at the monthly report for both circovirus and swine influenza A, and it looks like both of those lines are trending down through 2022. Am I reading the graphs correctly? Yeah, yeah, you're reading them correctly, and we're hopeful that that's going to continue. Um, the, the circovirus and especially the influenza, you expect, though, that as we get into the fall season, um, not unlike people with influenza, you get into the fall season and the um, barns are being closed up to control the environment, there's more of an opportunity for activity for respiratory type of disease like influenza. So it's something that our producers need to keep an eye on and be aware of to get diagnostics as quickly as possible so they can address it as it happens. Well, speaking of keeping an eye on things, Dr. Sundberg, African swine fever still a risk in the Dominican Republic. I understand Schick Associate Director Megan Niederwerder had a chance to go to Puerto Rico to see how they are preparing their defenses. What did she learn? Are, are you feeling good about our defense against this at Puerto Rico? Well, you know, they, they, be careful about using the word good. Um, we're feeling confident right now. Um, the USDA and Customs and Border uh, Protection are doing as best they can and doing a very good job in Puerto Rico to try to defend that island from movement of ASF from the Dominican Republic over there. That's what Dr. Niederwerder looked at. She reviewed those processes with other veterinarians on the, on the trip down there in USDA and Customs and Border Protection, took them through the processes that they're going through to try to keep that virus off the island. There's been a lot of progress. There's been a, it, it's very um, encouraging the amount of progress that USDA and CBP have made down there. And we're hopeful that that's going to continue. We think it will. Um, we have some confidence in the experience of those folks and what they're doing on the island. And Dr. That was part of the report from Dr. Niederwerder. All right. Well, Dr. Sonnenberg, looking over to the other country, parts of the world, I suppose down in Australia, saw an announcement earlier this week that restricting the import of processed meats because of foot and mouth in Indonesia. Bring us up to speed on the foot and mouth spread there in Southeast Asia. Yeah, foot and mouth in Indonesia is really a hot thing right now. They've had over a half a million animals that have been either have died or been depopulated because of foot and mouth disease. 
There's an urgent vaccination program going on in Indonesia right now. It's um, using vaccines supported by Australia because they know that they're at risk. Um, they're France, Brazil, and China are also all contributing. Australia is um, also contributing diagnostics into Indonesia so they can do a better job, a more quick job of identifying where infections are. Um, uh, Australia has increased their screening of passengers coming into the country, and they're also doing active reviews of their preparedness and response plans. One of the things that's going on in Indonesia right now is that that vaccination program targeted for about 1.6 million animals so far, and um, it, it's focused on areas of high traffic, both high traffic for people, the tourist areas, Bali, the island of Bali in Indonesia, for example, as well as high traffic and high concentration of cattle areas. So while they're after the whole population in the country, they're um, focusing on the high risk areas for transmission right now. All right. Well, we're also focusing our attentions on African swine fever around the world. I was intrigued, Dr. Sundberg, you reported an ASF outbreak in Russia in the month of August. And I'm curious, are we still getting adequate uh, animal health information from both Russia and Ukraine? Well, one of the things that we do is we monitor both the um, official and the unofficial, if you would, sources, the newspapers, the magazines, and those types of things. So we're um, gleaning as much information as we can out of uh, those areas. Now, Russia is still um, part of the World Organization for Animal Health, and as part as being a member of um, World Organization for Animal Health, they report outbreaks. So they do report official outbreaks that way, as well as we um, also have sources that we can get information on the ground that may be less official, but still informative. All right. Well, on the topic of African swine fever, what other outbreaks have you seen? And, and what is the spread telling you, Dr. Sonberg? Sure. So the outbreaks of ASF around the world um, continue in, in Eastern Europe. And that movement in Eastern Europe, and there have been a couple of incursions farther west in Germany um, that Germany is addressing, and in Italy as well, those things are happening. And it lo sure looks like that's the movement, not of feral pigs or of pigs, but it's the movement of contaminated products. ASF can survive in meat, and while that's not an issue for people, people are not subjective to ASF at all. Um, if another pig uh, eats that meat, they will become infected. So the, it looks like there's spread continues, um, sometimes slowly in feral pigs, for example, but sometimes it jumps very quickly when that contaminated product goes from one area of the country to another. So that's a lesson that we learn here in our preparation and in our um, looking at both prevention as well as response to ASF. We're taking a very hard look, both USDA and the industry is taking a very hard look at the movements and those lessons learned. So should we get that virus here, we'll be much better prepared. That's the name of the game, being prepared for those hopefully worst-case scenarios that we never see. Dr. Paul Sundberg is the executive director of the Swine Health Information Center. You can get their information at swinehealth.org. Dr. Sundberg, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA Today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to be looking ahead in segment four to Husker Harvest Days just a few short days away. Stick around for more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations 
plans to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. I'd walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Day's Lot 430 on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, September 13th, 14th, and 15th in Grand Island, Nebraska, folks, it will be 
Husker Harvest Days. We've been working with our friends from Chief to preview Husker Harvest Days, and they're joining us again today. We've got Brent Whitefoot. He's the regional manager for Chief on the line with us today. Brent, is the gang at Chief getting excited for Husker Harvest Days 2022? Yes, we are. We're going to be out there this afternoon cleaning up, and we'll be out there Monday setting up, and we're really looking forward to it. Looks like we're going to have three days of great weather. That is news or, or music to my ears, I suppose, music to a lot of the ears of people who will be visiting. Another man on site there in Grand Island is Matt Youngman. He's the show manager for Husker Harvest Days, and Matt, we're getting to crunch time. How are things looking? They're on the grounds in Grand Island. Everything looks fantastic. Uh, we've been out and we've tuned up some combines, already taken off about 80 acres of corn so that we've got places to run the autonomy demonstrations. The corn's coming off at about 25% and yielding about 220, 230. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a real good test for these combines. It's going to make for some, some really great demonstrations. It is indeed. And Matt, you mentioned that autonomous showcase. It's one of the things that will be at Husker Harvest Days 2022. Can you talk a little bit about what is going to be on display? What can folks see running through the fields? Well, the autonomy is going to run in two different places. So it's it's going to be easy to find. Raven and, and then the sprayer drones are all going to be running all day long up outside the northeast corner of the grounds. But then also when we run the harvest demonstration, we'll take the Raven outfitted combine and autonomous cart tractor and run that through the regular harvest demonstration so that you can you can see that there too so there'll be plenty of autonomy going you know that coupled with the haying demonstrations and the cattle handling demonstrations and autonomy everything else that's going on there's just a lot of activity happening all over the grounds there is, and there's going to be activity happening in those fields across Nebraska here before too long, that irrigated corn doing 220 to 230. Brent, I've got to imagine that's got growers thinking about storing this grain for the winter ahead. What is Chief going to have on display at this year's uh, Husker Harvest Days? We'll have a, uh, our permanent display, which is a grain bin. We'll have a steel building, and we'll have uh, quite a few of our accessories, uh, some uh, false floors, drying floors, and uh, aeration fans with the uh, Caldwell logo on it. All right, a lot of things to see if you make it by the Chief booth. And Brent, that, that grain bin, you're going to be in Lot 430. Is that the right place to send folks? How can they find Lot 430 when they're on the grounds? That's correct. We'll be in 430. Our buildings guys will be in 426, and the uh, Bonneville Homes people will be next door to us in 434. And we're right there at the intersection of Central Avenue and 4th Street, which has been renamed to Chief Street, or we're right across the street from the uh, one of the food vendors to the south. Well, that's going to be convenient. Matt, we're thinking about food. What do you have to say to folks who might be coming to Husker Harvest Days with an empty belly? Is that the place to show up? It is. Whether you're there for, you know, you want to be there for breakfast. Uh, my personal favorite is the bacon burger with an egg on it, which is pretty darn good at the pork place. And then up and down Central Avenue, all the food stands all all run by local school districts and booster clubs. Uh, they all kind of compete with each other. And the food at, at every one of them is excellent. So you, you certainly can't go wrong. Plus, we're going to have uh, University of Nebraska Lincoln UNL bringing out their dairy science program ice cream trailer. So you're going to be able to get a pretty good treat there at the across the street from the UNL building too. Fantastic. Eating beef, eating ice cream. We're celebrating beef in a lot of ways, celebrating cattle. And Matt, I understand cattle producers might have an extra reason to show up for Husker Harvest Days. As always, you're talking livestock, aren't you? Yes, we are. We're going to have those cattle handling demonstrations at 10 and 2 in the livestock building. But then in between those two, we'll have seminars going out on throughout the day right there so you can go grab one of those good lunches walk over to the the livestock building and and get get some education kind of a lunch and learn deal there throughout the middle part of the day willie both done a great job of lining up some great speakers to talk about marketing and drought water concerns pasture all those kind of things Matt, you spend a lot of time on the grounds. You spend a lot of time talking to the exhibitors about the things that are going to be on display. If, if you could send a message to people who maybe don't have Husker on their agenda for next week quite yet, what are some of the key things that, that you think make it worth the drive? Well, if it's not on your bucket list, it ought to be, because it's, like I mentioned earlier, with all the activity that's going on, you're, you're never without something cool to take a look at. And, you know, whether it's horse gentling or stock dogs or all these exhibitors with all this brand new equipment, 
I think one of the most exciting things about this year's show is that, you know, upwards of 15% of the exhibitor list is, is new. We've got brands, over 70 new, brand new exhibitors who haven't been at Husker Harvest Days before. So there's just something new on every street and every building and every booth throughout the grounds. I, I can't pick favorites because that's not my job, but, but you know, there's, there's product introductions. There's the new Clostrion Combine. There's that new Raven Autonomous Fertilizer Spreader. Um, you know, Chief is a great partner of ours. I just saw our new Chief entry structures come in on two semi-loads, which are going to be pretty cool uh, to look at. I can't wait to see them get in place, get set in place later today. There's just, there's, there's just things everywhere for folks to, uh, for folks to enjoy. And if it's, if it's not on your bucket list and you don't have to be in the field next week, I'd say make your way to Grand Island and, and come enjoy a good show. Absolutely, Matt. And if they decide they want to make their way to Grand Island, what's the website they could visit to get tickets, get the show map, get the lay of the land for everything before they arrive? Good question. So huskerharvestdays.com, you can surf around the map, kind of make your plan for how to attack the show site. We've got about four or five miles of streets to, to, to be on. You can also link out to the, the CVB and, and get yourself a room found. Uh, buy tickets online at a discount. Instead of $15 at the gate, they're $10 online. Uh, you can come and and, uh, and and get a kind of a fast pass into the show when you do that online ticket. But uh, everything's there on the website and look forward to having everybody here next week. And Matt, parking, is it going to be a hassle when I show up in my truck to get a parking spot? Absolutely not. We, after after 2014, we put gravel lanes in those parking lots. So even if even if this rain tonight softens things a little bit, we're still going to be in great shape. Well, folks, it is going to be a great show. Get to Husker Harvest Days. While you're there, stop by the Chief booth there in lot 430. Talk to Brent Whitefoot. He's the regional manager there in western Nebraska. And if you see Matt Youngman, give him a wave. He's going to be working hard. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in next week. We'll be back with more AOA right here. Thanks for listening in and have a great weekend, everyone. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss.